what's happening in the world coming up on NTD News. First, our top stories. Lawmakers are hearing about the dangers of gender-affirming care for minors. Four witnesses shared how children undergo surgeries without fully understanding the implications. Republicans say pandemic school closures destroyed decades of learning progress and even parts of society. Meanwhile, Democrats say closures saved lives. We bring you the highlights from a congressional hearing. Authorities catch smugglers trying to use a fake U.S. passport patrol vehicle to cross the border illegally. 17 people were arrested. Florida Democrats plan to go on a tour and use $1 million to register more voters. Republicans now lead in the state with half a million more voters. Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Chris Beers. Our top news, former President Trump's attorneys have been told to expect an indictment, according to NBC News, citing unidentified sources. It's from the probe into Trump's actions after the 2020 election. The report did not say when to expect the indictment. Special counsel Jack Smith is investigating what happened after the 2020 election when many Republicans, including Trump, accused Democrats of election interference. On July 18th, Trump said he had received a letter from Smith stating that he was a target of the probe. Trump's lawyers are reportedly currently meeting with officials in Smith's office. It isn't uncommon for defense attorneys to meet with federal prosecutors before an indictment. A House hearing is shedding light on the dangers of gender-affirming care for minors. Those testifying say that children are coerced by adults or specialists to undergo life-altering surgeries without fully understanding their significance. This so-called gender-affirming care is anything but affirming and caring, and the language matters. This is adults deciding to permanently alter the bodies of children who do not have the capacity to make like life-altering decisions on their own. The gender specialist I was taken to, taken to see told my parents that I need to be put on puberty-blocking drugs right away. They asked my parents a simple question. Would you rather have a dead daughter or a living transgender son? The choice was enough for my parents to let their guard down, and in retrospect, I can't blame them. This is the moment that we all became victims of so-called gender-affirming care. A month later, when I was 13, I had my first testosterone injection. This caused permanent changes to my body. My voice will forever be deeper, my jawline sharper, my nose longer, my bone structure um, permanently masculinized, my Adam's apple more prominent, my fertility unknown. I look in the mirror sometimes and I feel like a monster. Four witnesses testified at the hearing, among them Chloe Cole, who told her detransitioning story. She said that she started gender transition at the age of 12, but realized that it was all a lie at the age of 16. She talked about the physical and psychological pain she endured after the surgeries. She called gender-affirming care one of the biggest medical scandals in American history. The Biden administration issued what it described as the first ever hazard alert for people working in hot weather. Temperatures are expected to soar today and tomorrow across the East Coast. The administration made reference to what it called the climate crisis for its need to send out the alert. The White House notice says it reaffirms that workers have heat-related protections under federal law. The White House also said more than 400 workers have died from environmental heat exposure, while thousands more are hospitalized every year. 
White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre yesterday described the heat wave as a difficult time and said President Biden was treating the climate with the urgency it requires. New York City imposed an excessive heat advisory today as a heat wave descended on the eastern United States. Here's Mayor Adams. Our city is under excessive heat warning from today, Thursday, June, July 27th to Saturday, July 29th. The heat index will be 105 today and 105 to 108 tomorrow. The index will be slightly less on Saturday, but will meet heat advisory conditions. National Weather Service says 180 million Americans are under heat watches and warnings. Temperatures and heat index values above 100 degrees are forecast until at least Saturday. Cooling centers have also been opened across New York City for those who do not have access to air conditioning. President Biden is set for talks with Italian Prime Minister Georgia Maloney today. She's won praise from the U.S. administration for her strong backing of Ukraine as it tries to fend off Russia's invasion and for her willingness to pull Italy out of some of the Chinese investments. White House officials said that in addition to discussing Ukraine and China, the two leaders are expected to discuss immigration from North Africa to Europe. Before her White House meeting, Maloney headed to the Capitol to meet with Senator Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, and other lawmakers. She's also scheduled to meet with Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Her visit comes as Italy prepares to take up the presidency next year of the Group of Seven Industrialized Nations. A congressional hearing on the effect of pandemic-era school closures. Democrats say closures were necessary. Republicans argue closing schools led to historic loss of progress and a number of social issues. Here are the highlights. In only a matter of two years, a generation of progress was lost. On Wednesday, a subcommittee from the House Education Committee held a hearing titled Generational Learning Loss, How Pandemic School Closures Hurt Students. In his opening remarks, the chairman said closures led to erased learning progress, citing the nation's report card's 2022 assessment. Math scores are at their lowest point in two decades. The same for reading, history, and civic scores plummeted to their lowest mark since the tests were first administrated, uh, administered in the 1990s. He added that closures not only lead to learning loss, but also to social issues. Adolescent mental health issues spiked, hospitals uh, visits spiked, and sadly so did suicides in certain regions of the country. It's a steep price to pay, and they're continuing to pay. Democrats defended the closures, saying they were necessary to prevent potential harm. If we would have kept schools open, more people would have died due to COVID. Many Republican-led states pushed for schools to reopen early. States guided by Democrats tended to favor remote learning, as did most teachers' unions. Yes, my colleagues and I are deeply concerned about mislearning, but I also urge us to keep in mind the lives lost, as well as the lives saved by limiting exposure. Data does not indicate that the virus spread more rapidly and more deaths occurred in states where schools reopened early. Numbers also show that few children died from the illness. Many who did also had other conditions. Republicans say lawmakers should investigate decisions made by schools during the pandemic. They also want to explore what happened to the $190 billion in federal money spent on education over the time period. Hunter Biden's plea deal is on hold after a judge questions the agreement reached between the defense and the prosecution. She was surprised by the sweeping nature of the immunity that would have been granted to the president's son. 
To unpack this complex situation, I spoke with Will Scharf, former federal prosecutor and Republican attorney general candidate for Missouri. Will Scharf, thank you for joining us. Great to be with you. Good morning. Good morning. Will, you've said Hunter Biden's attorneys were essentially trying to get him a, quote, slap on the wrist for his crimes. How so? So if you look at the plea agreement and the pretrial diversion agreement that his lawyers in the Department of Justice uh, tried to push through the court yesterday, uh, basically in, returning for, in return for pleading guilty to two very minor misdemeanor tax charges, Hunter was being promised that he would not be prosecuted for a wide range of criminal activities, uh, including his association uh, with Burisma, including his association with a, a basically a Chinese Communist Party uh, associated private equity firm. Uh, all of these sort of international uh, money laundering and influence peddling operations that he'd been engaged in, uh, he was going to be given a free pass. Uh, fortunately, though, that deal uh, was was blown up in court yesterday, and it looks like Hunter may still be held accountable. And why is that? Why did this deal blow up? So the judge basically looked at this deal and saw elements of subterfuge to the way that it was structured. Uh, instead of a normal plea agreement with judicial oversight, uh, the Department of Justice and, and Hunter's lawyers had essentially colluded uh, to, to have a, what, what appeared to be a normal plea agreement, but then to have this other agreement, what's called a pretrial diversion agreement, operating in the background uh, without judicial approval. Uh, and that's where they hid these provisions that would have guarded Hunter against being prosecuted uh, for all of his criminal acts beyond the, the relatively minor tax charges that he was pleading guilty to. As a former federal prosecutor, I'll tell you that's highly irregular, if not unique. I've never seen it before. Uh, and the judge appears to have shared that view, that this was highly irregular and not the way that this case should have been proceeding. Now, Will, IRS whistleblowers alleged recently that uh, Hunter Biden received pre preferential treatment in this investigation. How did their testimonies factor into what we saw yesterday? I think yesterday, uh, yesterday's events in court uh, really prove what those IRS whistleblowers were saying, uh, that instead of this case being treated as we were told like any other case, instead of Hunter, the son of the president, being treated like any other American, uh, he was given a deal that, it, not just a sweetheart deal, but a deal that is so far beyond the realms of, of the normal uh, that it almost strains credulity. Uh, Hunter was being allowed to walk free uh, for over a decade of criminal malfeasance here and abroad uh, with no prison time, with really just a slap on the wrist in, in the form of these misdemeanor pleas. That's not the way the system is supposed to work. And just in closing, Will, you know, all of this is so complex as I'm listening to the news, I'm trying to understand what's happening. In layman's terms, why does it matter? It matters because in the American system of government, the rule of law is supposed to apply equally to all citizens. It doesn't matter whether you're the son of the president of the United States of America or just an ordinary Joe off the street. The rule, is, the rule of law is supposed to be applied equally and fairly. And Hunter was getting a deal that no other American would get. And you have to believe it's because of who his father is and the political valence of this case. To my way of thinking, that's just wrong. 
Will Scharf, former federal prosecutor and Republican attorney general candidate for Missouri, thank you. Great to be with you. Thanks a lot. Coming up, do any GOP presidential candidates have a chance against Trump? An author and political researcher gives his perspective on their prospects. And good news for some student loan borrowers. The Biden administration will cancel $130 million of debt for students who attended a now-defunct college in Colorado. We'll have more on that after the break. Welcome back. Officials from the U.S. and Mexico have busted smugglers using a fake border patrol vehicle to transfer migrants across the southern border. Mexican agents stopped the vehicle after observing someone in it trying to cut a hole in a border fence. Mexican officials arrested 17 people and U.S. authorities confiscated the truck. Attempts have been made before to use fake vehicles to enter the United States. In 2021, Border Patrol agents stopped a fake Border Patrol vehicle carrying 10 migrants near the Tucson border. Last month, officials reported that fake FedEx vehicles were used to transport 26 illegal immigrants into El Paso. New York City is coming up with new ways to handle the influx of illegal immigrants. The city is planning to set up a shelter for 1,000 in the parking lot of a psychiatric hospital. City officials said the new emergency relief center at the Creedmoor Psychiatric Hospital in Queens will house adult men. It will offer services including meals and medical care. New York State will provide the space at the 300-acre Creedmoor facility and will reimburse the city for setting the center up and staffing it. There are currently more than 56,000 illegal immigrants in New York's care. Thousands more continue to arrive in the city weekly. Officials said the Creedmoor Center should be up and running at some point next month. One of the youngest people ever to be charged in the January 6th case was given a one-year jail sentence yesterday at a U.S. District Court. Bruno Joseph Kua, who was 18 when he entered the Capitol building on January 6, 2021, was sentenced to a further 36 months of supervised release. Kua was a high school student at the time. He sat in former vice Vice President Mike Pence's chair during the Capitol breach, Kua told the judge he regretted his actions. The judge was prepared to hand down a more severe sentence, but relented after hearing the defendant show genuine remorse. Kua's attorneys argued that prosecutors' sentencing recommendations sought to portray the defendant's actions as violent, where they were fairly mundane. Florida Democrats have unveiled their ambitions to take back Florida pledging $1 million for voter registration efforts across the state. The Take Back Florida tour is led by Florida Democratic Party Chair Nikki Freed. It will focus on registering Democratic voters, promoting voting by mail, and mobilizing communities for civic engagement. The tour will go from August 2nd to the 20th and will cover 18 counties across the state. Efforts will focus on South Florida, where the Democratic Party aims to recover from notable defeats in 2022. The funds will be distributed as grants to local Democratic executive committees. Currently, Florida has over half a million more registered Republicans than Democrats. Historically, Democrats held higher voter registration numbers. But in 2021, the GOP gained an advantage. And since then, their lead has continued to grow. 
Republicans now hold all statewide offices, a majority of Florida's congressional delegation, and supermajorities in the Florida House and Senate. The Democratic Party doesn't expect to completely close the voter registration gap. Their goal is to reduce the GOP's advantage by about 35 percent. The first Republican debate for the 2024 presidential election is just around the corner. NTD's Daniel Monahan brings us more on the candidates' prospects and the perspective of author and researcher Daniel Brubaker. Trump should show up to the debate. Daniel Brubaker is the author of By the People, which examines the 2020 presidential election. The author is sounding the alarm on American democracy. I believe that we are in historic times in this country in terms of uh, what has been going on related to self-governance, the major issue of the 2020 election, and indeed the 2022 uh, midterms, was the um, uh, accountability, whether the citizens are still ruling this country. As for the 2024 election, Brubaker says Trump is the obvious frontrunner, but doesn't think he has anything to lose by showing up at the first Republican debate in August. I know everybody thinks uh, and, and, and wonders that he is going to put his foot in his mouth, that he speaks uh, very, um, what, is these, what is the word, uh, from the heart and not in a very prepared way, but, um, but I've never seen him be very concerned about that. And I've never seen it really harm him in the end as much as many people, particularly his detractors, would hope that it would. Entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy has caught Brubaker's eye. He's very impressive for what he has accomplished and his understanding and articulation of the issues. So I think there's an opportunity there for him. As for Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Brubaker feels he's done a wonderful job in Florida and admires what he calls the firm and principled stand he's taken there, but finds his current position in the race to be troubling. I don't believe he's in trouble in his long-term uh, political prospects, but in terms of this election, it seems, I mean, barring some uh, major shift. Uh, I, I think the uh, reduction in staff is probably just indicative of reading the writing on the wall. DeSantis cut over a third of his campaign staff this week, but still sits in second place. The author sees dark clouds on the horizon for the U.S., citing a recent poll saying 55 to 65 percent of Americans support the censoring of so-called false information. But Brubaker wonders who gets to determine what information is false. He sees an example of that in the treatment of Democrat candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. And so he went before um, Congress uh, seeking to address the problem of censorship, and he got censored. This is not right. And a generation ago, even the Democratic Party would have uh, been on his side on that matter of the ability to, um, to speak. You know, the answer to, uh, let's say he has a bad argument on something or something that he says is incorrect. The answer to that is more information, not the stifling. On the bright side, Brubaker is excited by what he sees as a deep GOP field, saying he can't remember a time when he had at least three or four candidates he's divided between and excited about. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. If you want to watch the full interview with author Daniel Brubaker, you can check it out on Capital Report on the NTD website at ntd.com. Good news for some student loan borrowers. The Biden administration will cancel $130 million of debt for students who attend a now-defunct college in Colorado. This affects over 7,000 students who attended College America in Colorado between 2006 and 2020. It applies only to federal loans, not private ones. 
Colorado Attorney General's Office found the university's parent company widely misrepresented the school. That includes information on graduate salaries, employment rates, loan terms, and the programs it offered. President Biden said borrowers at College America were lied to, ripped off, and saddled with mountains of debt. Borrowers should receive notice of the automatic cancellation in August. Planning a road trip before school starts? Plan for higher gas prices. Prices at the pump went up 12 cents in just three days. According to AAA, the national average for regular gasoline climbed two cents today to $3.17 a gallon. That's the highest in eight months. But that's still well below the painful levels of last year. In June of 2022, gas prices hit a record of more than $5 a gallon. The sudden spike is partly due to a jump in oil prices as recession fears fade and OPEC cuts production. Another potential issue is extreme heat. Some refineries, including at least one ExxonMobil facility, have had to undergo maintenance in recent days because of extreme temperatures. The U.S. economy's growth was stronger than expected in the second quarter. Here with me live to talk about it is NTD Business's Don Ma. How's it going, Don? Can you tell us more about the GDP numbers we got today? Sure, Chris. Uh, I'm doing well. The U.S. gross domestic product grew 2.4% in the April through June period. This quarter's growth rate is at a faster pace uh, than in the first three months of the year. And what contributed to the growth, Don? Well, Chris, it, it was driven by business invest, investment, uh, government purchases, and consumer spending. You know, consumer spending actually accounts for about two-thirds of economic output, and it grew at a 1.6% rate in the second quarter. And now, it's actually down sharply compared to the last quarter. And earlier, I spoke to an investment advisory firm about this topic. So let's maybe take a look at that. And here to talk to me about the GDP number is Lance Roberts, Chief Investment Strategist at RIA Advisors. So, so Lance, U.S. economy expanded at 2.4% rate. I, I mean, tell us how, how should we feel about it? Well, so first of all, the 2.4% the rate, obviously a good number. We were running about 2% in the first quarter, 2.4% in the second quarter. So now that is inclusive of the GDP deflator. Now, I don't want to get too complicated, but that's basically the inflation adjustment for GDP. Had the deflator come in line with expectations, we would have been closer to 2% versus 2.4. So, you know, pretty much the economy's doing exactly kind of what it's been doing, growing at 2%. So I want to put this into perspective. You know, you know, historically, 2%, I mean, is that good? Well, no. You know, historically, if we go back to the 1990s, whenever we were growing at 2%, the worry was is that we were heading into a recession. Uh, what with 2% growth used to be considered pre-recessionary. Post-2000, um, really, because of the increases in debt, because of what's been going on with the, you know, kind of federal policies, et cetera, we've just been hoping to get 2% growth. We've been excited to have 2% growth. And no, it's not growing fast. You know, 2% economic growth is not strong enough to create economic prosperity. It basically just kind of maintains the economy. So no, it's not great that we're running at 2%. We need four, five, 6% economic growth, but that would also entail 
four, five, six percent rates of inflation because inflation and economic growth are tied at the hip. And of course, with 32 trillion in debt and, and record household debt, you just can't sustain higher rates. So the reason that we have to have low rates of growth and the reason that we need low rates of inflation is because of the massive amount of debt that has been supporting economic growth over the last 30 years. And just a side question, why are we now just happy with 2% whereas before we, we used to have much higher GDP? <laughs> well, we're happy about it because the economy is not in recession, right? And, and again, like I said, it, it gets you to have you know, people that have jobs, it gets politicians reelected. But we need to be thinking about you know, the issues going forward because the more debt that we continue to tack on and the, the, the longer that we run deep deficits in the economy and, and you know, every time we spend $1.7 trillion on this or $2 trillion on that or $3 trillion on this, that's just adding to the debt run, which is going to continue to slow economic growth. So in the future, we're going to be happy to have 1% economic growth, right? In the future, we're going to be happy to just be flat on economic growth because of the debt. Uh, if mm -hmm. we cut our borrowing in half right now, what's the economy going to look like? You'll be in a recession almost yeah. immediately. <laughs> look, I mean, the, the majority of economic growth is driven now uh, by debt. Here's a, here's a fun fact for you. If you take a look at GDP growth going back to 1980 when we started running a deficit and you subtract out all the deficit spending, we would have had negative economic growth for the last 25 years. All right, thank you so much for your time today, Lance. Appreciate it, thank you. The Transportation Department announced a new rule aimed at enhancing lavatory accessibility for passengers with disabilities on single-aisle aircraft. Under the new regulation, airlines will be required to install fully accessible bathrooms on single-aisle aircraft. These lavatories must be spacious enough to comfortably accommodate a passenger with a disability and an attendant. Previously, regulations concerning accessible bathrooms were primarily mandated only for twin-aisle aircraft, leaving smaller planes without comparable guidelines. The Transportation Department introduced this rule in response to the increasing use of single-aisle planes for long flights due to their fuel efficiency. The Transportation Department referenced a survey conducted by the Paralyzed Veterans of America and other disability advocacy organizations. It revealed that 56% of respondents cited inaccessible lavatories as a reason to avoid flying unless absolutely necessary. When we return, a county newspaper in West Virginia ends a 100-year run. The paper's only reporter and editor now raises concerns about the accuracy and ethics of news on social media. And lithium-ion batteries started more than 100 fires in New York City in the first half of this year. The city's fire commissioner today is asking the federal government for more regulation. We'll have more on that after the break. Back to the news. In McDowell County, West Virginia, locals are turning to national news sources or reading no news at all, months after the local paper closed down. The publication became another casualty among the quarter of U.S. newspapers that have shuttered since 2005. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports. Unpaid bills litter the Welch News publisher's desk. The phones that used to ring throughout the day are silent. 
Tables covered with typewriters, awards, and other artifacts are a reminder that the papers become a relic itself. Right, I bought this place knowing I'll probably never make any money. It's not about that. It's about my community that I love. It's about the people here that I love. Residents in McDowell County, West Virginia, live miles apart in haulers connected by mountain roads. Cell and internet service are spotty or non-existent. Every community, every holler even, needs a person that's gonna be the one standing there going, wait a minute, why would we do that? Somebody explain that to me. World War II veteran Howard Wade said losing the paper has been difficult to accept. The continuity of the community is lost. This was lost. Derek Tyson was the paper's only reporter and editor. As cable news and social media fill the void, he's raised concerns about accuracy and ethics of these sources. You know, every newspaper is only as strong as the base they serve. And that that's what's really changed in McDowell County is a lot of that base is gone. The paper provided an on-the-ground perspective. National coverage of the area focuses on the poverty rate, opioid crisis, and the declining coal industry. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. New York City's fire commissioner is warning the federal government about a new danger today, lithium-ion batteries. Cheap Chinese-made batteries and e-bikes caused over 100 fires in the city this year. NTD's Andrew Thomas has the latest. Luis Perez rides a lithium-ion battery-powered e-bike through the streets of Manhattan. He's among the 65,000 e-bike riders zipping through New York City. Many earn a living through apps like Grubhub, Uber Eats, and Seamless. I work from 6 a.m. in the morning until 10.30 at night, almost 14 to 15 hours. Since the beginning of the year, New York's fire department has responded to more than 100 fires from the lithium-ion batteries. 13 people have been killed, more than double the fatalities from last year. The city's fire commissioner, Laura Cavanaugh, is advocating for national e-bike safeguards. When they uh, catch fire, they really do explode. You do see uh, what looks like an explosion in most of these videos when it comes to a lithium-ion battery fire. Cavanaugh is set to testify before the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission Thursday. Consumer Product Safety Commission has, you know, a few powers that are unique to them that really can prevent what I would describe as like the upstream production of these dangerous bikes. Robert Sloan is a chief scientist at safety science company UL Solutions. He doesn't want an outright ban on the bikes. And so we can't ignore the fact that e-mobility is a part of the energy transition. We just need to make it safe. Starting in September in New York, e-bike companies must have their bikes independently certified. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Still to come, presidential candidate Nikki Haley linked fentanyl to China on the campaign trail. She said Beijing knowingly ships fentanyl to the United States. And the Pentagon is seeking to get crucial mineral called gallium that's after China chose to curb its exports more shortly here on NTD News Today. Thanks for staying with us. Presidential candidate Nikki Haley warns about China's role in the U.S. fentanyl crisis. 
She spoke about the dangers of the Chinese regime at a campaign event in New Hampshire, citing her experience as a former UN ambassador. We had enough fentanyl cross the border last year that would kill every single American. Number one cause of death of adults 18 to 49, fentanyl. Don't think for a second China doesn't know what they're doing when they send it over. Haley said addiction should be a top issue for every American. The former South Carolina governor called on the U.S. to end normal trade relations with China and to track down the source of fentanyl. Data shows that 85 percent of overdose deaths in New Hampshire in 2022 involved fentanyl. The Pentagon is seeking new ways to get gallium. This is a mineral needed to make microchips, and China is now limiting exports. So the Pentagon is looking to contract U.S. or Canadian companies to help recover supplies. Gallium is used in semiconductors and military radar systems. It's also crucial to the telecommunications and renewable energy industries. China is the largest gallium producer, but is restricting both gallium and ger germanium as part of its trade war with the U.S. and Europe. The Pentagon has reserves of germanium, but doesn't keep gallium. The companies contracted by the Pentagon will recover gallium from waste streams and other products. The gallium will then be recycled for use. The Pentagon said recovery instead of mining is the fastest way to bring the mineral to use. Recyclable gallium can be sourced from semiconductor wafer scrap or from used or defective devices that have gallium. Japan also relies heavily on recycling approach to its gallium production. The U.S. Senate overwhelmingly adopted two amendments to the defense budget that would protect U.S. interests from China. Tech companies will have to notify the government of any dealings with China-based companies and entities and individuals from China will be barred from buying farmland. I spoke with Colonel John Mills, former director of cybersecurity policy at the DOD and author of The Nation Will Follow, to learn more. Colonel John Mills, good to have you back on the show. Chris, thank you. It's an honor to be on your show. Colonel, the Senate wants American tech companies to notify the Treasury Department of their dealings with China-based companies. Give us some examples of why. The, uh, well, I mean, the, the Chinese understand our processes and, uh, and understand our legislation, and they're, they're gaming the environment. They're finding gaps, seams, and loopholes. And I mean that very literally. And, and uh, we got to get better at this, but that's, that's what's going on here. Got it. And, and talk to us about some of those loopholes. Well, the land purchases, um, and you, you, there literally was not, that was not addressed in existing CFIUS language, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, and which was significantly updated and in many ways subsumed in the 2018 Foreign Investment Risk Review Modernization Act. Land purchases were really, it was, it was silent on, on how to handle, how to track, how to review. And the Chinese knew this, and they were they were they were just rolling up the countryside because they knew we didn't have a we did not have a requirement or a mechanism. There is no database at the federal level where a U.S. government agency is tracking and monitoring who is buying what type of land. And what kind of a threat is it if China Chinese companies or Chinese individuals own farmland in the U.S.? 
Well, okay, so there's, there's three possible components to what's going on here. One, they need food. They, they, they literally need food. And a lot of this is potential uh, land that they can control more and more over time for food production. Two, uh, it, it, it provides, it allows for influence operations. And I'll point to North Carolina, where it's not as much land purchases, but they've been very, very involved in uh, the hog farming, which was, is a huge industry in North Carolina. Uh, so it gives influence. And does that destabilize domestic U.S. politics in North Carolina? You bet it does. Okay, so it's an influence operation. Three, is it a base for spying and uh, hiding things? Absolutely. So all, all three, uh, the, this is part of their strategy to, to acquire this land. So now we have this piece of legislation out there, but what else could be done to address these issues? Well, uh, legislation is good. It has to be enacted, and it has to. We have to rapidly uh, spin up the bureaucracy because every time legislation is passed, that means people, programs, and resources that need to be put in place. We also need to look at uh, addressing past purchases. Normally, laws don't retroactively criminalize things. I mean, that's a kind of against the American uh, American constitutional way. But I think here there's what's called a national security imperative. So we have to look at last uh, past purchases. Um, and we have to really, really, uh, we have to examine these, these purchases. I mean, literally, physically examine them. Uh, is it just for buying? And we have to uh, understand the tentacles here. Is it, is it, are they buying this for food production? Uh, are they buying this for uh, influence operations? Are they hiding things? Well, Colonel John Mills, Thank you for your insight. Thank you, Chris. Always an honor to be on your show. Coming up, a Russian village keeps a centuries-old craft of wooden toy making alive. A local museum teaches visitors about the production process and history of the figurines. Details to come on NTD News today. Welcome back, everyone. Recordings made to introduce life on Earth to aliens are going up for auction at Sotheby's today. A copy of NASA's Voyager Golden Record was kept by the late astronomer Carl Sagan. The recordings were made for NASA's twin Voyager probes that lifted off in 1977 and continue to explore the solar system today. One reel includes Chuck Berry's song, Johnny Be Good, as well as different styles of music from around the world. The other reel has humpback whale songs, greetings in 59 languages, and other sounds. The recordings are expected to fetch up to $600,000 at auction. The records were then sent off with Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 were made of copper and plated in gold, and included symbols showing how to locate the sun and how to play the record. A centuries-old craft of wooden toy making endures in a Russian village. A local museum teaches visitors about these wooden figurines, and TD's Andrew Thomas has the details. Bogorodske is a village about 60 miles from Moscow. The small town is famous for its flexible figurines. The first moving toy was made here some 400 years ago. 
Our toys, our carving style, is the only one in the world. There is something similar in Germany, but the Bogorodsk style carving is generally the only one in the world. Villagers produced toy parts that were assembled in the monastery. By the middle of the 18th century, the craft became independent. Each family specialized in one type of toy. Since the middle of the 18th century, toys were carved in every garden of our village, but they were carved by families. Independently, this skill was never taught anywhere, only in families, passed from generation to generation. There are a lot of villages around us. The only one in which they carved toys is ours. The museum showcases small and life-size wooden sculptures. The smoothness of the surface is one of the toy's recognizable traits. The museum displays a copy of the sculpture, The Mice Bury the Cat. This Soviet period figurine was discovered in the village in 1974. Unlike traditional wood toys, it's painted black. This work is very interesting. When the construction of a pumped storage power plant began and our village was razed to the ground, two of the three streets, this work was found in the trash. Who is its author? Why is it black? How old is it? We do not know. Kirill Sapolov is the youngest carver at the factory. He's following in his family's footsteps. It often happens you suddenly want to do something and some idea comes. So you just do it. Often people bring sketches, come with pictures, with photographs, and want a young lady, a doll, or a ballerina, or some kind of Cossack figure. Human-sized blacksmith figurines are available at the factory museum. This year, the toy factory is celebrating its 110th anniversary. The San Diego Zoo welcomed four capybara pups this week. The animal is the world's largest rodent. They are related to guinea pigs, hamsters, and mice. The pups relatively mature and mobile at birth. The four young ones are already nursing and following their mother with father Bowie nearby. Mama Capybara is Rosalina, who just became a second-time mother. The animals are found in Central and South America, where they inhabit swampy, grassy regions. They are not classified as an endangered species. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Chris Beers.